0: It's ten degrees outside, and we are here in the house of the Lord. I made it. I made up my mind yesterday. Matter of fact, probably Friday. I knew the weather was going to get bad. Right? We can see, and I made up my mind since that day. The last time it snowed, I said, "Right, whether it snows, we're going to be here. We're going to open with. I mean, with every opportunity we have, we're going to open." So. The house of God will be opened. And I made up my mind on Friday that we were going to open. I mean, are we going to let weather stop us? Now, I don't condemn anybody for not coming. I don't condemn nobody. That's your conviction. That's between you and God. And But the thing is, is that I think that we don't know what we have until it's gone, right? We've all heard that expression. You don't know what you have until it's gone. And and I was sharing with Norma this morning that I think it's pretty soon here we're going to be at a place where we're not going to have this luxury of being able to meet for a bunch of different reasons. Either they're not going to want us to meet and we're going to desire to. And I think that we should be able to take every opportunity. I mean, people in other places like the North and the Midwest, I mean, they have below freezing temperatures. And I mean, if they were to shut down the weather because of that, then they would never be open, right? They would never be open. So, you know, I think that it's something that that we really want to think about because yesterday, oh, my my carnal nature, the carnal man was telling me, yeah, just shut it down, close it down. Everybody else is closing down and you can see it as a day off. You'll have a time to be able to rest and you won't have to study and you won't have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and get ready for everything. And all of those things were were coming at me, right? The temptations that, okay, yeah, I can shut it down. But then I remembered that actually today is Mark's 10 years that I made a decision to follow God with all my heart. And because he saved me, I'm so grateful that I want to do what He's called me to do. I don't want to treat this salvation like whatever. This is showing my gratitude. So we made it up in our minds. Me and Norma, we're going to be here. Even if we just have to come to minister before the Lord to show our faithfulness. Again, because people don't come, it doesn't mean that they're going to hell. It doesn't mean that they're not saved. But what it means is that... um, you know there's a thing before I've talked about it's called uncom or comfortable christianity and i was thinking about that this morning as i was getting ready because there is many who said yeah tomorrow we're moving to online church so that you can be in the comfortable uh, in the comfort of your own home and you can be safe from the driving conditions and when we read the bible the bible doesn't tell us that when we come to christ that we're going to be uh, safe from the elements of the world. Actually, the Bible says that we actually have an X on our back now. We got a target. And so because of it, we're going to be treated wrong and a bunch of things can happen. And I don't think we're called to comfortable Christianity. I don't think we're called uh to be made comfortable on a Sunday morning, to sit at home on our sofa with our cup of coffee. Uh, I mean, more power to you if that's what you see. But that's not what God designed from the beginning. The Bible says for us to deny ourselves, right? And our carnal man says, yeah, the covers feel good and the blankets feel good and it's cold. But the spirit man says, no, I want to go gather with the body and I want to worship God corporately. And I think there's a lot of importance in that. Again, that's not condemning anybody. But as far as we're concerned, as I've always said, me and my house, uh, uh, we, us in this house here, New Vision, we're going to serve the Lord. And whoever wants to come, they're welcome to come. And whoever's not, we're going to continue because, I mean, it's important because the time is coming. Again, like I said, I may not live to see that day, but the time's coming pretty soon. And Christians are going to say, I wish, oh, how I wish I had the opportunity to go to church. Because in other countries like the Middle East and China, they gather. And again, I've mentioned it many times before. They know that if they get caught, they're going to be killed they're not worried about cold weather. They're not worried about a lot of things. Uh, they're putting their lives in danger. Now, why? They're doing it for the gospel, you know. And so we can either seek to be made comfortable and seek safety at home or say, no, uh, God saved me so that I can be part of a body and that body functions in a certain way. And so that I think that's the importance of us coming today. And and um, of course, we're wise in all of our decisions, but I think that it's something that we should really, you know, really think about because it's, it's a privilege. We have a privilege here to gather. We have a privilege of a building. We have a privilege of all this. But, you know, when the flesh calls out, I think it demonstrates our faith. Are we spiritual or are we carnal? Because no, I want to stay home or, or we're quick to make an excuse. And again, I had those excuses coming at me and I decided that, uh, that that's not what I was going to do. So we're going to be in John chapter 12, verse 42 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Father, this morning we are thankful. We are thankful for a building. We are thankful for heat, God. We are thankful for... God, the ability that you have given to us by way of properly working vehicles to get us here, God. You've given us warm coats. God, you've given us everything that we need so that we can be here. In faithfulness to you, God, we know that we're not saved because we come to church. We come to church because we are saved, because we have believed in you, God. Not superficially, but we know, God, that there is more there. And God, it's part of our pursuit after you. So this morning we pray and ask you that that through this word you would speak to our souls, God, as always. That you would give us understanding and revelation, God, so that through it all, through the application, we can glorify you and you alone. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the first things that we desire to do when we expound on the Scripture, which is what we do every Sunday, is the first thing that we want to do is we want to make the most of God. We want to make the most of Jesus. What is the Scripture saying about God? What is it trying to get us to understand? We It causes us to look to Him, right? Because a lot of times we can get Scripture and we can right away just go into it and try to put it in our life and and cause it to to point to us. But we really want to see Christ first through it all. And then after that, uh, what it is that He's saying and declaring, and then we want to use it lastly as an application. Now, how can we apply it to our life? And we can only learn how to apply it properly when we know what it really means and what it really says. Now, today, we're uh, at at the end of it. We're going to look at something called the weight of words, because I think that it is something that we're definitely going to see here that Jesus is talking about. And so we'll talk about that toward the end. But it says that many believed. And so we would ask this morning, well, what is it necessarily to believe, right? Because a lot of people say, well, believe, and it's just a a word that's just tossed around and it's just shallow. And and believe is basically the same word for faith. It's the Greek word, pistuo, which means to be persuaded or to think to be true, to be convinced or to put one's trust in. So you and I were persuaded Persuaded of what? Persuaded that God is the only God. He's the living God that uh, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who is God. Right. John chapter one, the word became flesh. Uh, The word was God. And that he died as an atonement for our sins we believe all of those things we're persuaded we're convinced of it and so we're convinced because of that that everything that scripture says it applies to us not only certain parts but every single thing but we see here that among the rulers a lot of them believe but they did not confess this means to profess or to declare or to even acknowledge so think of somebody saying hey uh, you meet a guy or a girl, you want to go steady. Yeah, we're going steady. You make this decision and say, yeah, it's me and you. But then you go into public and he acts like he doesn't know you or she acts like she don't know you. You wouldn't be too happy about that. And it's basically the same type of thing that was happening. Um, they weren't acknowledging Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, they might have acknowledged the miracles that he did and, and, and a lot of the things that he did. But they weren't acknowledging what the words that he had to say to them. This means this word means to confess. It means to say the same thing as another. It's the Greek word that comes from it's a it's a two part Greek word. The first one is uh, homo, which it means the same or together, and of course logos, the word of God. Homologeo is where it means to confess. They were not confessing. Romans chapter 10, verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now that scripture, people grab it a lot, right? And they say, well, with the heart one believes, and with the mouth confession is made. So they believe, okay, if you just say that, uh, God, I surrender to you, I'm going to follow you then basically you obtain salvation. But it says first that who uh, the heart with the heart one believes. Now, the heart is your mind and your will and your emotions. So it's not necessarily something that just happens one time, but it's something that you make a decision, like you make up the decision to go to work or to do a certain task during the day. And then you say, hey, I, I committed to it. I'm going to finish it out. Why? Because I said I was going to do it. People will go to college. It gets difficult, but you don't quit just because the homework is hard, right? You continue and you finish because you made up your mind. Now, this all happens through one word that we talk about a lot. It's called repentance. Now, repentance is something that happens up here. You make up your mind in here, and it's so much so that it generates to the heart, and you turn away from the things that uh, that you did that went against God. Even your way of thinking about God, it changes, This is the same confession that's saying they did not confess. So it's not just simply saying it from your mouth, but it comes from your heart as well. Now, upon looking at all of Scripture, we see that it all works together, the mind and the heart. But it starts here and then it goes to the heart. And then what comes out of our mouth comes from the heart, right? Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's really in here is what speaks. Now, John chapter 1, verse 20, talking about John the Baptist, when they went to him and asked him, hey, tell us, are you the Christ? John chapter 1 says that he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed. I'm not the Christ, but he who is coming after me, he's greater than me, right? His sandals, I'm unworthy to loose. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm just one crying out in the wilderness, saying what? Make straight the way of the Lord. Right. Everything that's been made crooked, make it straight because I'm going before the Lord. But he's the Christ. I'm not. So he confessed it exactly who Jesus is. Now, Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my father. Who is in heaven. Now that scripture is very important. Why? Because it says these people believed, but they did not confess. Well, Matthew 10 saying, if you don't confess and if you deny me, then I'm going to deny you before the Father who is in heaven. So we see clearly there that just a, a simple, shallow belief is not enough, right? It has to be our full trust in God. And our life is going to be a reflection of it. The way, again, the way we act and speak, the way we think, the way we consider things. I mean, all of that. And then, of course, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, remember Jesus? They came up to him and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? We cast out demons. We did many miracles. uh, All these things, wonders. We did it in your name. And what does Jesus say? Then I will declare to them. This is the same word, confess. Confess. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So Jesus himself is also going to confess that he's going to acknowledge who they really are. You're not of me. You're not part of me. You are uh, of you're you're a tear. You're not a wheat. Now, of course, he's going to turn away from them. Those are the two things that the Lord God is going to say to people when we stand before him, either well done, my good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord, or depart from me, I never knew you. Those are two words that everyone is going to hear, either one. And that's something that we, you know, we should think about. Because remember, uh, who has believed our report? We talked about that last week. Or who has believed your report, right? My report, the report that we are giving. Because if we say we have believed in Christ, but we're not confessing him, if we're not acknowledging, right? If we're not saying the same thing as what his word says, because he is the word. If our life is not saying the same thing, then basically we're denying him. We're not confessing him. And so then Matthew chapter 10 would apply there. Or it could, right? If, if there is no repentance, if there is no turning away from it. So the report has to be accurate. Now, all of this that they did not confess, it was because of the Pharisees. It was on account of the Pharisees because of them. Now, the Pharisees, of course, they brought division. They were bitter enemies of Jesus. They were like his number one foes. They relied heavily on outward works and an appearance of holiness, right? Piety to be pious, to be holy, right? You look right on the outside. Remember Jesus said, you uh, hypocrites, you worry about the outside of the dish, but you should worry about what is on the inside, the inside being our heart, right? What good is it? We've seen those people who are really nice on the outside and they dress really well and they they speak really well when you see them just uh, just at a quick uh, run-in with them and you see their homes and they're good and they're cars or everything's in order they have a good job but then you see them when they're really interacting with their true friends or with their children and they're ugly there's nothing but bitterness and anger and they yell at them and they talk with so much of an anger what good is it that they have all of that that's good on the outside that is the type of uh, of a uh, modern type pharisee if you will and there is a lot that 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 we can see out there, right? I mean, we can read the scriptures and we can pray and, and we can pray really good. I mean, we can bring up some really good points in prayer and we can have a lot of revelation and a lot of understanding of scripture. But if our heart is not right, if our heart's not been transformed, if our heart is not in Christ, then basically we've just become a modern day type Pharisee. And we always are critical about other people and what they do and how they do it. And that's not right and and uh, and whatnot. And it's very easy for us to fall there. And that's why we need to stay close to the Lord. Now, they, they had the fear of the Pharisees. Why? Because they had fear of being put out of the synagogue. Remember the blind man, the parents, they were fearful. They didn't want to get put out of the synagogue. It means to be excommunicated, to be thrown out. Why would they have been thrown out of the synagogue? Because they were not saying the same thing as the Pharisees. So therefore, if you don't say the same thing, then you're going to be thrown out. But are we called as Christians to say the same thing as the Pharisees or to say the same thing as anybody else? No, we're called to say the same thing as what the word of God says. And that's our number one charge. John chapter 16 Verses one through 4 we'll be approaching there soon. But Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples. This is right before he's going to be crucified. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember I told you of them. So obviously, Jesus is clear. They're going to throw you out. They're going to treat you ugly. They're going to try to kill you. And as a matter of fact, when they do that, they're actually thinking that they're doing God a service, but they're doing him a disservice. Now, the only reason somebody is doing that is because they have not known the father or Jesus. The only reason somebody is, is ugly, right? I mean, again, they know everything. They got everything on point. They don't, never miss a Sunday service, but they're really ugly inside their heart. There's only one reason, and that's quite possibly because they have yet to know Jesus as Savior. They have yet to know God as who He is. And it's important for us to take note of it because um, there's a lot out there. Now, again, it's not for us to say, hey, you're not saved and you're not saved, but it's for us too, to try to win their attention and have a decent conversation and say, look, you know, can, can we pray or uh, find a way to try to minister in that area? But if our attitude stinks, then it's never going to happen. It's only going to be a bumping of heads. But he said, I told you these things that when they happen, You're not going to lose heart because I already warned you about them, right? The way he's talking about being thrown out of synagogues, the same way there's coming a time where we're not going to be able to gather. There's going to be problems, whether the front is filled with people who are going to be protesting against us or the own government is going to be saying, don't gather anymore. They actually think they're going to be doing a service to God, but it's not. But at that moment, Jesus is saying, don't lose heart because I already warned you about all of these things. So the same way today, we choose to just rejoice and say, I'm going to be glad in what I am able to do right now. And I'm going to make the best of it because it's really true. We don't know what we have until it is gone. We can't put it together when it comes to church because we haven't lost church yet. But how many of us have lost a mother or a father or a grandparent? even a son or a daughter or we've lost certain relationships and we know man that was that that kind of hurts you know we don't know what we have until it's gone our kids grow up and they move out there's so many different things I mean it happens even with school we can think back to the junior high days or the high school and say man those were good days yeah I remember everybody saying you know do good because you're gonna miss this one day well how much more the things of God when we can come And when we can gather. So if believing is trusting. Then how is it possible to fear? Because that's what the problem was. They feared being excommunicated. But the scripture says that they believed. Remember, we talked about those tenses of salvation on Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday. The justification, the sanctification and the glorification. Okay. When we believe and we make that decision, that's called justification. We've been justified, but the process from right there to the day we take our last breath, it's called sanctification. That's Holiness being set apart and we 're called to grow every day to grow in holiness, to grow in sanctification now we can 't do that if we 're carnal or if our mind is on the things of the world, but putting them in the things of God, right because the carnal mind again is going to say i don 't want to go to church it 's too cold you know i can I can put on a li- uh, live stream even if it 's not my home church. anybody else says i 'll just click on it, not really knowing what it is that you 're going to be received um Or, you know, I can sit here and drink my coffee and and receive it. But the fearing, how is it possible to fear and to believe at the same time? Because one is going to supersede the other. You're either going to be faithful or you are going to be fearful, right? Right? And obviously, in this case, with these Pharisees, it was fear. They were fearful. Why? They did not confess. They didn't say the same things that the scripture was saying, but they did believe. Now, it wasn't a fear due to a physical threat. It wasn't because they said, we're going to hurt you if you believe or if you confess. But it was a fear due to the love of praise and at that the praise of men right? Because it said that they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And as a matter of fact, it uses the Greek word agapeo, which is the highest form of love. I mean, they loved it unconditionally, that pat on the back and saying, yeah, you're doing really well. We acknowledge you. They love to be recognized. And it was so much so that it was more than being recognized by God himself. Now, it didn't say that they didn't love the praise of God but it said that the praise of man was greater, right? What's your opinion? I care more about what you think about Pharisees, leaders, other people, pastors, preachers, brothers, sisters. I care more about what you think about rather than what God thinks about. Same way this morning, because I'm sure somewhere along the line, someone may probably have something to say because we met today. How can that guy be a pastor and encourage his congregation to go show up for church? Doesn't he care for them? But see, I don't care for the praise of men. I care for the praise of God. Now, if we're doing something for God, do we not think that God will keep us or God will give us favor? And let's say that uh, God forbid something did happen. Do we not think that God allowed it and he will see us through it? It all goes back to trusting God or being in fear. Do we have chains of fear or are we free with our faith? We have to love the opinion of God, what God thinks of us more than what people think. And that comes to, you know, you can even go as simple as Facebook posts or things that we say in public, because there's always people and you can see it real quick. You talk about God and they get disconnected. They don't want to hear about God. And so some people will tone it down and say, "Okay, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But we have to love the praise of God. A man by the name of John Trapp, who lived in the 1600s, he's a Bible commentator. He said of the praise of men when it comes to this actual scripture right here, he says, what is the praise of men other than a little stinking breath? That's all it is. I mean, we see it as, oh, you know, they're picking up our collar and we feel great and pompous because they're talking well of me. John Trapp says, it's nothing greater than smelly breath. That's all it is. And that's pretty sad when you think about it because you are so excited about that that is equated to smelly breath because there's, what it means is there's nothing behind there. There's nothing really tangible. There's nothing that we can stand on. It's nothing that we can grab a hold of and say, hey, this I can take to the bank rather than the praise of God. When God looks at us, right, and says, this is my servant in whom I'm well pleased, or remember, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's what we all want to hear. That's why we are following after God. So it says that Jesus cried out and said, uh, he who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. Now, this was a he, he said it loud and with authority. It says that he cried out. This is like the loudest form to cry out. He said it loud and it was authoritative about believing. Now, in this world, we've heard the phrase, seeing is believing, right? But listen to how Jesus worded it. He said, he who believes in me, and then he who sees in me. Because in the things of God, it's about believing is seeing. Because when we believe in Christ, when we believe in the things of God, then we're able to see the reality of everything that scripture talks about. Jesus is giving clear and precise words of who he is I mean he's not making it any more clearer to these people here I'm God I, I'm the God of the Old Testament the one who saw your forefathers through the wilderness and, and all of all the way until now I'm me I came in flesh here I am I'm the one that was talked about Exodus chapter 3 verses 13 through 15 says then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. This is the same thing that was happening with Moses, right? Moses said, if they're not going to believe uh, the miracles and everything, who do I say sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. Well, isn't that what Jesus was saying, right? I am the light of the world. I am the manna that came down from heaven. I am the the good shepherd. I am the the door. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He has said all of these things. And basically, he's doing the same thing that Moses was doing. But he said, look, it's me. Now, these Pharisees, these Jews, they were really, really uh, accurate with the scriptures and they memorized them. So they should know because he said, this is my memorial for all generations. Forever, forever. This is the memory who I am is the one who did all of this. And I am is here now in flesh and you're still not believing. Isaiah chapter 43 verses 10 and 11 says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe Me, and understand that I am He. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. Who is that talking about, if it's not talking about Jesus? Now, this was back in Isaiah, about several hundred years before Jesus came. And this is uh, the Lord God speaking, talking about my servant, talking about Jesus. And he says, that's me. There's no other besides me. And who, who is the Savior? Jesus Christ is the Savior. So then Jesus says, I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Now, at first glance, we can read that scripture and say, okay, so that you don't be living in darkness, right? So that you don't be uh, living in, in, uh, in drunkenness anymore or, or, or lying and cheating and stealing and doing all these things that, you know, murdering. That's the type of darkness that this is talking about. To, to uh, not abide in darkness doesn't simply mean all of those things. It's not the obvious works of Darkness. But the word means that it's a, the dark, it's a, the darkness due to the want of light. If you want to get a little more precise for those of us who sometimes think that it doesn't apply to us because I don't drink no more, I don't party no more, I don't do those things. But this darkness can also mean the ignorance of divine things and the wickedness that's associated with that ignorance. You know, the other day that I, I was sharing with with Norm, I was trying to make an example. We uh, going down the road, and if somebody pulls us over, a highway patrol or a police officer, and he says you were going 50 and the speed limit is 40, now we can turn around and say, "I'm sorry, officer, I didn't realize that it was that it was a uh, 40." Our ignorance of the law is no excuse. We're still going to be guilty, and we're still going to have to pay the fine because it's up to us to be observant of the street signs to know what speed we should be going. Now, it's the same thing in the light, because he said, I've come as a light into the world, that whoever uh, believes in me should not dwell in darkness. If you have believed in me, if you have fully trusted in me, then you shouldn't be uh, dwelling you shouldn't be abiding you shouldn't be lingering in the darkness in a place of ignorance when it comes to the things of God the place of not knowing oh I didn't know that the scripture said that or I didn't know that that's not what it meant but it meant this uh, that applies to us uh, obviously yes the other things as well the drinking the partying all those things but let's put those aside because even even the people out of the world know that those things are wrong but what about the things of God that's what it is talking about And then, so if we don't know, then that ignorance is going to cause us to do what the Bible would say, wickedness. Anything that is not pleasing to God, anything that doesn't operate in the manner of God, the Bible would consider it wickedness. If we're lazy, if we're slothful, if we don't want to read our Bible, if we don't want to do those types of things, drawing closer to the Lord, that is wickedness in the sight of God. But what does light do? Light exposes the darkness and it shows us. It's showing us everything in this room. It's showing us the colors of the walls. It's showing us the color of the carpet and the chairs, and and it shows us everything. Where now we can read, now we can perceive and understand. Oh, there's a doorway, so that I can go out through there. Uh, There's another doorway that'll take me over here, and we start to see these things that we understand. Oh, there's a fire. Oh, there's a fire extinguisher. I can go grab it. But if it was dark, we'll never grab that fire extinguisher. So guess what? The place is probably going to burn down before we can get to that fire extinguisher. See, when we're operating in darkness, when we're dwelling in darkness of the things of God, then we're not going to know how to conduct our lives because we are not necessarily seen through that light of Christ. Well, it shows us about God who Jesus Christ really is. And the second thing that we desperately need him. The same way we need light in here, I mean, we probably wouldn't, have a service at all or a very good one at that. If it was dark and we didn't have electricity, we didn't have light. We need it the same way we need Jesus in our lives. Now that light again, isn't just so that we can conduct, but it's how we conduct our lives. Hey, don't go there. Don't hang out with that group of people. Don't watch that. Not because you can't, but because it's probably not good for you. The result is not going to be good. So the lack of desire To engage in the drawing closer to God could often be tied to abiding in darkness. That's a real important point. The lack of desire. Yeah, I don't feel really like I want to read the Bible. I don't feel like sitting alone in devotional time. I don't feel like praying or meditating on the word of God. I don't feel like getting up early enough so that I can show up to church on time, but I'm good with showing up 10, 15 minutes late. I don't feel like standing for worship. Those kinds of things. That's a lack of desire. That's a lack of drawing closer to God. And you can usually tie it to abiding in darkness. Jesus said, I've come as a light to the world and to the world so that if you believe in me, you're not going to be doing that. So that's another reason when you know, has your faith been true and authentic? Is it real? Because if it is, you're going to desire to draw closer to God. Snow's not going to stop you. Nothing is going to stop you. You're going to continue to try to draw closer to God. Trust results from dwelling in the light. What we can can see or understand Fear results from dwelling in darkness, what we cannot see or understand. Now, we're not talking about a physical scene. That's important to note. Okay. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seven says that we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. We don't walk according to what we see. So it's not a physical scene. But Hebrews 11 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not yet seen. So we actually focus on the things that we cannot see, but when we're doing it in a spiritual manner and we're trusting in God, we're able to see through perception and understanding. I know exactly what you're talking about now. That's going to result in trust. If We focus on the things that we can see, but we still don't really understand, then it it results in fear. I have come as a light into the world. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 6 and 7. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him who the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. This text is talking about Jesus and you can't help but to think Jesus is saying, look, go back to the scriptures and remember Isaiah as talking about me. I come as a light into the world and that's what Isaiah says. I will also give you as a light to who? The Gentiles. I'm here. I am the light. How else do we know that it's Jesus? Because it says to him who the nation abhors." to whom man despises. That's Jesus. Still, He's abhorred. He's despised. He's made less of by many people. Many people who have even claimed to have already believed, but yet they don't confess, just like the ones at the very beginning. But all of this gives witness to Jesus, what He's going to do, what He says. And that's what He's trying to say. If you believed in Me, you believed in Him who sent Me. If you have seen me, you have seen him who sent me. I am him. That's me. But they're not wanting to believe. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising again here Jesus Christ is the light who's coming into the world Isaiah's prophesying it hundreds of years before they they're not recognizing it. They're, they're, they're choosing to ignore it because what have the Pharisees done, the Jews? They got to a point where they're focusing on only the things that they want to in Scripture. We're only going to practice this. We're only going to believe in this, right? Tithing, looking a little bit holy, but the weightier matters, right? We're not going to worry about that stuff. We're just going to kind of leave it. So because of it, now you could say that they're operating in a place of darkness because of ignorance, And that's causing them to come across as that wicked. And if you go down in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 19, it says that the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God, your glory. Now, Revelation tells us in the new heavens and the new earth. I mean, have you ever thought about this? There's not going to be a sun or a moon. But the light from Jesus Christ himself is going to illuminate the whole world. It's like, wow, he is the light of the world. That's who he's saying that he is. But yet we can either choose to believe it or to not believe it. Now, somebody's going to come and say, well, how can you believe that? I mean, you can't even see. Of course, Hebrews 11 says that faith is the evidence of things not yet seen, but those that are hoped for. And that's what we hope for. That's what we believe in that's where our hope is at our hope is not in the 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 light because the light's going to fail us there's probably a lot of people without electricity right now tomorrow there's probably going to be more people without electricity but guess what when it comes to jesus that light bill's never turned off that's not something that you have to pay that's not something that you're behind on that's something that is continuous because he continues right he is forever So he says, if you hear and do not believe, I don't judge you. I'm not judging you. That wasn't my primary mission. He came that the world through him may be saved. That's what Jesus Christ came for. Not to just say, okay, you, 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 you're coming with me. We're taking you to hell. That's not what he came for. The Bible says that he came that all men through him might be saved. But there's a problem is that the heart of men is wicked and corrupt. And that man says, no, I'm not ready. No, I don't want to follow after Jesus Christ. I still want to continue this that I'm doing over here. I still want to continue that, that I'm doing over there. So guess what? Chaos comes in our life. And and, and the Lord tries through that chaos to try to allow us to be broken down, to come to the end of ourselves to where we say, okay, God, I'll submit to you. I'm ready." And and I want to follow you now. But man uh continues to stiffen their hearts and their heads and their necks and their souls and say, I'm I'm not ready, I'm not gonna follow you yet. I don't want to, I'm not ready to stop doing what I'm doing. That's the mentality of a lot of people. As a matter of fact, that used to be my mentality. I'm not ready yet. I don't want to be going to church every Sunday, I don't want to be doing those things. But then when you realize the the the, the, the beauty. And the joy and the power and the strength and, and the grace and the mercy and all good things that come from it. And you say, how could I not engage in that? I mean, it's a it's a it's a no win situation. I've said it before. Uh, obviously, to me, he's losing because he's receiving wretched people like us. We're the ones that are winning. He's the one that suffered. We don't suffer like him. I mean, he suffered really bad. So Jesus, of course, he walked through the Via Dolorosa. They flogged him on his back. They say his back looked like ground meat. They say that most men would have died at that point, but yet he had enough strength to stand up. They put him in jail. The men mocked him. They got a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They pulled his beard. They laughed at him. And he said nothing. He carries that cross. He trips and he falls and he continues all the way to the point of death. But by God, I can't get up and go to church because it's cold and it's snowing outside. You see the difference? Jesus wasn't called to a comfortable cross. He wasn't called to a comfortable Christianity, and that wasn't the example that he set for us, right? Get up, pick up your cross, deny yourself, right? The, the flesh is, is, uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh says, no, I don't want to go, right? It's my time to rest. But the spirit says, come on, let's go. We've all been there, right? I gotta get up. I have to pray. And the flesh is saying, I want to go, but the, or, or the spirit, but the flesh is saying, no, no, later, you can do it later but we have to obey the spirit. We have to walk in the spirit. And part of denying ourselves is making up the decision and say, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. I don't care how much I don't want to. Why? Because that's who I'm called to be. I have a special calling upon my life. See, we all want an anointing, right? And the Bible says that everyone in Christ has an anointing that's given by God. But see, everybody wants an anointing so that they can have praise of men, so that people can say, oh, that man or that woman, they have an anointing because they touched somebody or they prayed for them and they got healed or this happened or that happened. But what about allowing that anointing to cause us to rise up so that we can go to church in 10 degree weather? The anointing can cause us to do that as well. Which one's greater? They operate in the same area. He says, but to the one who despises me. I didn't come to judge the world, but the one who despises me, the one who disregards me, the one who refuses and makes less of my words. He's got that that judges him. That right there alone. That's gonna, That's going to judge you. The thing that you do, because when it is put against what the words of God say, that is when the truth is going to come out at the end. That's not Jesus' desire. He desires to have mercy over judgment. To prevent the effectiveness of God's word, how would we prevent the effectiveness of God's word? By not confessing, by not acknowledging, acknowledging what scripture says. I mean, it's all there. It's all there, right? The fruit of the Spirit. What is it? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience, self-control, long-suffering. But how do we bear that if we're carnal? There's not. Matter of fact, Paul talks in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the flesh, and it's nothing but wickedness and idolatry and and, and fornication and anger and, and outbursts of wrath and all of those things. That's the flesh. That's what it produces. The wrong report that we give, again, that's going to end up coming in our account. The person who rejects me and does not receive my words. You don't take a hold of my word with intention to not let go of it, but to hold it for dear life. Grabbing the word of God in our heart and saying, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to pray for this thing that I've been looking at. Number one, our salvation. I'm holding it right here. I can't see it. I don't understand God. I know that it feels ugly right now. I I I I can't comprehend it, but I'm going to stand on this word. I'm going to grab it and I'm going to hold it. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to trust in you. I'm not going to let go. That's taking hold of the Word of God. That's taking hold of Jesus Christ, knowing that uh, the promise is, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. If I'm for you, then who or what can be against you? Nothing else. Again, not a little bit of snow. That can't be against you. The snow does. The snow falls. The snow doesn't resurrect for us. The Son of God is the only one who's re- resurrected for us. But it's a frame of mind. Am I thinking rightly about God? Do I, do I really want to fellowship with him? Am I excited, right? Am I excited that he saved me? Because a lot of people will go out in 10-degree weather for a wedding if they're going to get married. Or if somebody engaged, you know, gets engaged, somebody has a birthday party, they're going to go. Matter of fact, tonight it's going to be colder. People are probably going to get out. Why? Valentine's Day. Right? What about God? Again, this is not how we're saved, but this is how we show our gratitude to God. Lord, I'm I'm, I'm grateful for what you did. I'm grateful that you saved me. I'm grateful that you've taken away my sins and you've clothed me in righteousness. We got to take a hold of God's word. That's God's commandments, his statutes, his precepts from the beginning of time. And if we don't, those things, that's what's going to judge us. The rejection of them, the not doing. He said, what I should, what I should command and what I should preach. That's what the father, I'm not speaking on my authority. The father told me his commandments is life everlasting. Right? When we follow the commandment of God, the result is life everlasting. Now, this is talking about a life with God, because one thing that we kind of don't think about is that we're all going to live forever. Every individual, every soul, right? Every human being, the only difference is some of them are going to live it in eternal damnation and some are going to live it in eternal glorification with God. See, it's real easy and you see it a lot. Somebody passes away. It's the first thing they say, God needed them already. God came down and took him. He earned his wings. He's in a better place now. He's with the Lord. Are you really so sure he's in a better place? Are you really so sure she's in a better place? Because all we have to do is open up scripture. Now, we're not the judge of nobody. And we don't know for sure, right? At that very last moment, they could have put their faith in God. But when we see uh, a a person's life that is not for God, who gives us the authority to just so quickly say they're they're with the Lord now? See, I think that we need to sometimes maybe stop making excuses for people. Because we make a lot of excuses and we say, well, they know God. They've given their life to God. And I think the number one area where we make a lot of excuses is when it comes to our kids, because I've heard it a lot. I've heard a lot of people say, yeah, my son, my daughter. No, they know God. They know God. But yet they're living a, a licentious lifestyle. They're living a life totally contrary to God. And you only have to be left thinking. Well, if, if they knew God, they wouldn't be doing that. If you know God, you wouldn't be doing that. I mean, we all have enough common sense to know that if we drive a, a brand new 2021 BMW, I'm not going to be driving it through the mud. I'm not going to be driving it like a four wheel drive vehicle. I'm going to be taking care of it. Why? Because it, that's the kind of respect that we should give this vehicle. How much more the things of God if, if our children know God or if our friends or, or this person or co-worker, if they really know God, then why are they doing that? So the thing is, is we have to stop making excuses and we're, again, we're not the judge. But rather than saying they know God, they're just not doing right, it's just lift them up to prayer to God and say, Lord, draw them closer to you, God, whatever that's going to take. Most of the time, it's going to take some brokenness, some severe brokenness. But Lord, let me get out of the way. Break them down if you have to and draw them closer. But let me focus on me because I don't want to get my eyes too focused over there that I begin to drift. But we can't make excuses anymore. The church has allowed that. That's the excuse of today. Well, it's cold. Stay home. Now, again, I know there's, there's time and places for everything, but the church has to stop making excuses. See, we have the ability to live stream, but we choose to not live stream. Because, see, for me, I'm not trying to reach the world. I'm trying to reach a small congregation that we have here okay? That's what I'm called for. Trying to reach the world, if that's what God called me, that's different. So we have the ability to live stream. We choose not to live stream. And there's a there's a difference there because we have to do what God called us to do. We can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't say, well, I just want to do prison ministry, and I want to be a preacher, and I want to be a kid's church children teacher, and I also want to be a sound man, and I also want to do all these things, you have to do what God has called you to do. You can't be a preacher and also be the worship leader and also be the evangelist and also be the person that wants to heal. That's not the way that it works, right? We're called with one calling, and that's what we're called to do. So the weight of words We all know that words can be light and they can be heavy. There's power in words. People speak words to us. And when we were young, maybe somebody's told us something very difficult and those words were heavy, right? I can recall, I can recall somebody in my family telling me, you're going to be just like your father. Those were some heavy words. They had some weight upon them or other people that tell you, well, you know, you're, you're, I'm proud of you because you're, doing what you're supposed to do, and you're young, you're going... Now, those words can also be heavy, but they're heavy on the other side. Or words can come real light when people talk gently to us, but they hold a lot of weight. Now, we would have to say that the words of Jesus carry profound weight. They are heavy. Jesus didn't talk suggestions. He didn't say, well, I think you should do this. I think you probably shouldn't do that. But again, he cried out and he said, He spoke clearly. He bidded people. He gave commandments from the very beginning of time. Do this or else. Okay, the choice is yours, but there is a consequence and there is repercussion. There is profound weight. But what about our words? Are our words light or are they heavy? Remember the apostle Paul that he wrote to to the church. And he said, yeah, all those other people who oppose me, they say that, that my words are heavy in letter, but when I appear that it, it's not really going to amount to much. He said, but I'm going to be the same and in person as I am in spirit. Why? Because Paul's words were heavy and the word of God is heavy because sometimes it hits us like like the hammer that it is to break the rock that's forming in our heart or it hits us right in front of the forehead with the truth. It's a mirror and it demonstrates to us all the folly that we have, all the wrong that we have, and God desires to change it. And it hits us hard because it carries a lot of weight. A lot of times it's weight to the point of tears. And that's why you see a lot of people weeping when they read the word of God or they hear it or the preaching, because it's not the preacher has nothing to do with him, has nothing to do with anything else. But it has to do with the weight of the truth of the word of God. But what about our words? Once again, are we if we are are, are speaking the same thing, right? Uh, if we're saying as he did. I say what the Father tells me to say. Are we saying what the Father tells us to say through Scripture? If we are, then our words are heavy. They're going to carry weight. But if not, they're going to be light. Now, words come to our heart. But it doesn't start off there. Because our heart is directly affected by our mind. Now, what goes on up here? begins to somehow start happening down here. We've all done it, right? Man, I feel like I'd like a nice piece of cake or I would like this certain food or or I would like McDonald's. And you think it up here and you think it and you think it and you think it and then guess what? It drops lower here in the heart and that's where it's settling in even more. I really want that. And then guess what? It becomes an action. Now we're going to get in the car we're actually going to go and we're going to grab it. It's the same thing that people who are addicted to drugs do or people who even um, fornicate, right? They think it up here and then it drops here and then it becomes the action. And the apostle James actually said after it, it becomes an action, then it becomes a habit and then it becomes your character. That's who you are. Now you're the alcoholic. Now you're the liar or the cheater or what have you. Now we can turn it the positive when it comes to the Lord. But see, our belief starts up here, but it doesn't finish there. It comes here. And then it turns out to who we are. I am a Christian. How do I know? Because what comes, what's in my heart comes out through my speech. And all of that happened, obviously, because it was processed right up here. I think rightly about The Lord, our hearts directly affected by our mind. So are our words heavy carrying the weight of the truth of the gospel? Loving the praise of God? Or are they light and ineffective due to the loving of the praise of men? It's a good question to ask ourselves this morning. Think of the scales of justice. These scales up here, they weigh. They weigh things that are heavier, things that are lighter. And we want our words to be heavier on the side of the truth of the gospel than in error. I was watching a Western movie. And in the Western movie, there was a gentleman who was on trial. And in that trial, they were trying to accuse him, of course. The prosecutor was. And so, what they did is they grabbed a bullet and they weighed it on the scales. And they got another bullet from his gun and they put it on the other scale. And they leveled out. So, basically, what that meant was yeah, that bullet from that gun is the same bullet who killed that person, so you're guilty. So therefore, he was going to be charged. But there had been some funny business through it all, and somebody had changed the bullet and whatnot. But through all that accusation, and they were saying, okay, this this is what's going to happen, and and you're guilty, and this is wrong. A gentleman in the back couldn't bear it no more, and he stood up and he said, that's enough, that's enough. Uh, Leave him alone. And he stood up and said, I did it. He didn't do it. I did it. And I changed the gun. And that's why the bullet looks like it was from his gun, but it was me. And not so much in that same manner. But basically, that's how it is with us in Jesus. See, we're on trial before God. We're born as sinners and we're on our way. We're guilty of sin and we're on our way to hell. But when we put our trust and belief And Jesus, then Jesus is the man who stands up and says, they're not guilty. Put that on my account. It was me. That's what he accepted for us. That's why he was troubled in his soul. That's why he was sweating drops of blood. Because he endured that for us so that we wouldn't have to undergo it. Now, when we realize that, see, that's why I love God. That's why I pursue after God. That's why I'm I'm ready and willing to go out in crazy weather to go follow after God. That's why I believe is his word. That's why I want to draw after him because of the things that he's done. That's the message of the gospel. God desires to be the one who says, no, don't put that on their account. Put it on mine. But he can't do it until we believe upon him. And we can't Truly believe upon him until we confess him, until we acknowledge him, until we don't, uh, until we make more of his word and not less. It's not about a comfortable Christianity. It's going to be a difficult Christianity, right? He said, carry your cross. Now, I've said before, the, the time is here where we need to not wear the cross on our necks no more. We need to take that cross off and we need to carry the bigger cross, and we need to have it nailed to our souls, denying ourselves. It's going to be difficult, right? But isn't one of our promises that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? That's the promise that is for us. So yes, I can do that. Oh, of course, uh, I can go to church in 10 degree weather. Yes, I, I can read the Bible even when I feel tired. I can do all these things. And yes, even in the future, I can endure um, big time persecution to the point of death, because Christ will give me strength to see me through it. And if God's allowed it, then I need to just trust God. But see, our story doesn't end there. Why? Because I'm going to wake up, but I'm going to be standing next to the Lord. Do we really understand that and realize that? Because that's the whole importance, because everything else is going to fail us again. Remember those kids, they're going to fail us right? We stop making excuses. Take your eyes off of them. Yes, we pray for them, right? We don't just throw them aside, but we pray for them. But God, my focus is on you, right? And, 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 And we continue to pray for them, but our hope is in God. And that's what causes us. So this morning, the thing would be, do we believe but also confess? Or do we believe but not confess out of fear for different other things? Because I don't want people to think that, oh, they're too holy or Or they're too radical because, you know, they do things that just the normal person wouldn't do. As a matter of fact, as Christians, we are out of the ordinary people. We're not the same as everybody else. Uh, We're going to probably, we're called to love like nobody's business, to love people like nobody's business, to forgive people like nobody's business, to be merciful. And when the world sees that, they're going to say, you're crazy. I wouldn't do that. They don't deserve it. And our response to them has to be, you know what? I give it because I didn't deserve it either, but God gave it to me. And because of that, I'm going to give it in return. God, we thank you for the, God, the opportunity to be able to be here, to gather, God. Today may be 10 degree weather, God, but we know that when we stand in your presence, God, we won't even have to be worrying about temperature because everything is going to be so wonderful and bliss. The only thing that's gonna matter is not the weather, God. The only thing that's gonna matter is standing before your glorious presence where we can gaze upon your eyes and know that, God, we have not believed in a fairy tale. We have not believed in things that are vanity, God, but we have believed in the way, the truth, and the life. But God, on our journey, While we make it there, will you help us, God, that we would believe but not stop there, but that we would also confess, that we would say the same thing in our lives that your word says, God, that it would add up on the scales of justice, that they would add up, Lord. Not that that it would be any less. God, we need your help and we ask you, Lord, to lead us and guide us and to search our hearts. And God, whatever things are there that are impure, They're not right. They're not of you. God, help us to remove them. Give us the courage to remove them. Give us the strength and the grace, God, that we, through your power, may be able to turn away from them, to confess, to repent, God, and to follow you, to draw closer so that you would be glorified.